If I Ran the Bank is a podcast hosted by Clayton Weir, co-founder and head of product and strategy at Fispan, a fintech that is enabling banks to provide contextualized, consumer-like experiences to their business clients. Clayton is a thought leader in financial innovation and hits on the hottest topics in banking, finance, and the future of payments. And he wants to know, if you ran the bank, what's the one thing you'd go all in on? Please tune in to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's your host, Clayton Weir. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of If I Ran the Bank. Uh, my name is Clayton Weir. As always, I am your host. I'm super excited for today's guest. I have Sandra Horvath on. And so she is um, a very interesting person that I, I met, I guess that I've met and, and my partner Lisa has met in a, in a different life as well, in a couple of different contexts. And so I would almost characterize Sandra as having um, had the unique chance to live through the whole value chain of the financial services. So a lot of time in the card network side, a lot of time, importantly, in the final mile at Sage, you know, kind of working and selling business applications and embedded payments straight to small businesses, the tools they used to run their business. And more recently, working on, I guess, some of the big challenges around payment modernization in Canada as, as part of, you know, the Payments Canada Strategic Advisory Council. And more recently, I think working on um, with Central One, who I guess is probably the best proxy for that would be something like the services that FIS and FI sort of do specific to the small regional banks in the U.S., where it's a blend of being a technology partner and kind of an operational services provider, something like that for the Canadian kind of credit union and, and tier two financial services uh, ecosystem. And so based on that, I think having had both uh, existing on the first mile, you know, d- deep in the in the belly of the machine in the kind of payment clearing schemes. Um, I think why I actually invited Sandra was more to talk about the fast mo- or the last mile and how um, we distribute financial services to uh, businesses and, and maybe how that could change and how banks could do a better job in that. Thanks for coming on the show, Sandra. Does that did I capture you want to fill in the blanks on on who you are and Thank you, Clayton. You did. I really appreciate that. Uh, so yes, uh, very true. I'm a, I'm a payments geek through and through. Um, but from both sides of the coin, both working in the payments industry and also working in the software industry where payments flow through and primarily in the uh, commercial side of things. So with that, uh, with that focus, um, most of my roles have been business development and market facing as well as strategy. So I've touched on commercial card solutions at American Express, account, accounts payable systems, um, with buyer initiated payments to managing merchant acquiring efforts in the mid market space and, uh, also strategic alliances for a large accounting software firm that included looking at, uh, payments integration. And as you had mentioned, most recently supporting the expansion of modernized digital banking in the credit union system. And near and dear to my heart, too, over my career is, is I've noticed there are not uh, enough women in the space. Um, even when I was uh, doing my tech MBA or in various meetings throughout my career, I was often the only uh, one of few women in the room. So I'm really uh, an advocate for gender diversity and Uh, in technology and payments as past president of a women in tech organization. And I currently chair the Business Technology Management Industry Advisory Board for Simon Fraser University, and I'm a member of the Dean's Board. 
So as you mentioned in the past, I've served on the Stakeholder Advisory for Payments Canada, uh, representing the needs of small businesses as it relates to payments modernization. And I'm currently taking on projects and seeking my next big juicy business problem to seek my te- sink my teeth into. So with recovery of COVID around the corner, I really feel that it's timely for the industry to really truly support small businesses in their ability to grow and flourish. So, so that's something I'm looking at. So on that note, that's maybe a really good place to start. So um, do, do you want to maybe give us the Coles notes of if you were sitting in the, you know, the Strategic Advisory Council of Payments Canada kind of representing the voice of small businesses? Like, what what's your pitch, right? Like, what, what do small businesses need? And where in, in your mind does the maybe the incumbent, you know, financial uh, and financial technology players maybe let them down? And where are the opportunities in that? Well, definitely. You know, um, banks, they they need to act more as technology companies rather than just banks and view the, and I'll always speak in the uh, business context to the commercial side of things, not the consumer, but, uh, you know, the experience for uh, a business, as I've seen it over the years uh, th- throughout my career, has been really painful. Um, there's been some progress, but uh, the big one, I would say, is reconciliation. It is a huge pain point for, for businesses. And there's reasons why we haven't been able to fix that over the years. Um, one thing, one part of it is that the Canadian banking infrastructure, the network, um, you know, has been legacy and not necessarily prime for innovation. But Payments Canada is investing in modernizing. So there's a couple initiatives happening uh, today, and that's the update of their large value transfer system to links, um, which will be more, uh, I guess, better positioned for innovation. They're establishing real-time rail capabilities, and they're aligning to global standards and passing enhanced data. So with that, we now have the foundation to do these things and make lives better, the lives of business people better. So the the biggest piece to that around the reconciliation side is the development of ISO 20022 or the utilization of that standard so that full remittance data will accompany the payment and with the ability to flow into the accounting software. And with that, it's going to save a a ton of time for, for businesses. We've obviously kind of dove in on the show before on the ISO 2022 stuff. And I mean, I'm a deep proponent for the value of it. But I, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Because obviously the payment clearing system needs to speak that language and have the ability to like take all this rich contextual data. Then the financial institutions need to get it from there. And then the portal needs to have it at the bank and then it, uh, further and further out. But Ultimately, it kind of leads into, and I mean, I think this is what, what you think a lot about, but it leads leads into a massive either first mile or final mile issue, right? Where ultimately this needs to like be something that and like, corporates and, and business, small businesses need an on-ramp to take advantage of, right? Right. Yep. That's very true. I mean, I, I recently read a, uh, a report from Ernst & Young saying that poor payments processes for uh, commercial uh, organizations costs them in Canada over a five-year period between 14 and $32 billion. 
it's a huge pain and it comes in a number of different forms. I mean, as we just talked about, low auto match of, of payments to invoices, that's a big one. Limited visibility into what's happening in the supply chain. Uh, limited predictability of cash coming in. And uh, also visibility into cross-border payments and a lot of manual payment processing. So that's where this figure of 14 to 32 a billion dollars comes in. And so so with that, if we could uh, utilize the new technologies that we'll have available to us and tackle these things. But to your point, we can't do that in a silo. And FI can't just do that on its own. It has to share the data with all of the systems that a small business may choose to use. But the the opportunity for everybody in the supply chain is freeing up these dollars. So when you are saving or you're making businesses more efficient, when you're saving them money, um, then and you've got products and services that will help them do that, that can also increase your own revenues. It'll inc increase the revenues of the business and uh, and everyone in the chain. So it's um, th this evolution is is going to create um, is, is going to create new opportunities for everybody in the chain. And I think we don't what we don't see enough is collaboration across the chain. So the, all of the focus right now is you know getting the work done, the, the technology in place, looking at that project. But what I would really advocate for is the use cases you know, working with other partner organizations, hone in on use cases that are just above and beyond and, and give businesses a top-notch experience. And so to dive in a little bit further on that, like what what are some of those, the, the use cases that you think should be top of mind or should have the most energy behind them? For sure. Uh, well, the reconciliation one, so having the remittance data come into your financial management software. I think that, I mean, we've seen incredible uptick of Interact, for example, right? From a consumer to consumer perspective. It's, it's such a great experience. I can just go into my phone, send money, see that immediately uh, the recipient has accessed those funds and, and away I go, I'm done. Well, that's not necessarily the norm for businesses. You know, they, they don't have that kind of visibility. Um, but having said that, it's something that we can do in a business context. Um, Interact, for example, is enhance their systems to have a higher uh, threshold. I think it's around $25,000, as well as the enhanced data. So one use case I could see is you're in a, your accounting software and you initiate an Interact e-transfer to a business that you're paying or that you easily accept uh, that transfer um, from a business that is paying you and uh, you're saving money doing that because when businesses use uh, a credit card, you know, there's the interchange fees and it's a lot less expensive. So there's a lot of consumer technologies that are not fully utilized in a business context yet. So that's another example. Um, another one, when you combine the power of your accounting software and the data that that a financial institution holds is lending. I mean, that's a major pain point for businesses as well as the lending relationship. I mean, it still can be very manual where you're applying for a loan, you're not quite sure 
when you might need it, how much you might need, what the rate is, sending them the information, whereas all that exists. So if we could look at a cross-organization process where um, you've got better visibility into the payments chain and a, a business will see, oh, you know, three months from now, it looks like I might need uh, a loan. And it, my system flags me and says, okay, it looks like you might need that loan. We predict based on your receivables and the timing, it's going to be about $5,000. Based on the health of the organization, you should get a rate of approximately X. Did you want to trigger the request to such and such a financial institution? Because based on their parameters, you were pre-approved. Like, can you imagine, right? Like, but, but today, it's, it's, that experience is, is very different. I mean, all the points you raised are great and kind of merit a, a deeper dive. But the, I mean, the lending one is probably one of the things that I've thought about the most as I've gone through the podcast. Just, and it's kind of, it's kind of simple, but it's kind of profound in the sense that like the way that banks have lent to small businesses has historically almost always been on an asset basis, right? Like it's the whole system was set up right, that you have like a factory and you have a building and machines and it's like, a you know, a more, they're very good at that, right? Historically. And generally for smaller businesses, like it hasn't really been, it's either owner personal revolving credit or later cash flow tied. But, but for most businesses, they're not really good at like cash flow type lending, right? And and so as businesses have become less asset intensive, it's kind of created this deeper and deeper financing and, uh, you know, gap that way, right? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's harder to match. But realistically, d data is the, you know, throughput data is the asset you're lending against now, right? And we've seen that at the merchant terminal, we've seen it on the revenue side with the, I can't think of what's Michelle Romano's business, uh, think, thinking capital. Anyways, the um, but the you know lending against kind of uh, SaaS subscriptions, all those kinds of things like that. That is how businesses are going to lend, just with a, a using real time data access to operational data to underwrite. And I don't I don't think a lot of FIs are good at that today. Yeah, I think we need to make borrowing a lot easier for for businesses, and many of them rely on you know their own personal credit cards or business cards because it's easy. But that's not to say that, um, you know, and, and banks are wondering, you know, well, what, well, how do we increase our own revenues? Um, they can do that through, through more lending just by making the process frictionless and easier to access. I mean, absolutely, you have to mitigate risk. But the, the more pervasive data is through the payments networks and, and through the software that we use, and as everything is moving to SaaS-based, um, then that just it's it's a matter of sharing that data to mitigate risk, um, provide the information that's needed and and access to the lending that's needed when it's needed. I totally agree with you. Sorry, ClearBank was the was the uh, brand that I think of earlier. Um, but and on that note, I mean the other thing that I think is interesting about some of these big points you've raised is to some extent these are all things that I think the card networks themselves had figured out early and i'm just even thinking on the lending side like like your former you know employer they just bought i think the largest non-bank um kind of fintech lender to businesses you know in the last year in cabbage and so like that it just very, very interesting how they kind of always have their nose into these things early 
Yeah, it's very true. And that was my first foray into the payment space was working for American Express. And it was really, I I really loved it. Um, It was really about looking at a situation saying, hey, you know, it's costly to issue a purchase order and, you know, time consuming and arduous and, um, is there an easier way to do this? Well, this commercial card product existed and it's, you know, and it is, it's, it's a, it's an easier way to, to spend and, and receive payments. Um, but there needed to be some controls in place and a commercial card will allow you to limit how much the dollars, which employees, what suppliers. So it can completely enim- eliminate purchase orders. But of course the data is, is a critical piece to it. So, you know, so there was underutilization of commercial cards in the market at the time, and that's what I was tasked with looking at. And it was a really fun problem to look at because it, it utilizing the system would save companies money, um, but there was an acceptance issue in some cases. But, but we overcame that by really honing in on who were the, the most important suppliers, um, getting them on board. Uh, getting their customers to advocate for the processes that they needed and just connecting the dots. What I find is that often what needs to happen is the technologies are there, the value prop is there. We just need to connect the dots and and make it possible for businesses to utilize some of these solutions and services. Totally agree. And I mean, even that, I mean, a business to business um, purchasing card purchasing, I mean, in some ways is, is a decent prototype for what you might expect in the ISO network. Cause they, I mean, to trigger the business class interchange, you had to pass a whole bunch of structured contextual data about invoices through the network. Right. And, and so it's realistically in every way, a prototype for the kinds of buyer supplier interactions you might expect in an ISO payment network. Yeah, and and that's very true. Um, there was uh, L3 pricing, so the more data that a supplier would send, the better the the rate that they would pay. Uh, today, you know, where there's so much uh, focus is the development of APIs. Well, this is just going to uh, open up Pandora's gate of of, uh, of of data, and I think that's the other challenge that we have to look at. We will have access to so much data now, but how can we best utilize it, you know, in for, for the customer and giving them the insights that they need real time at, at the time that they need to make their decisions. So it's, you know, it's, it's becoming easier, much, much easier for organizations to pass the data. And of course, it always has to be done in a secure fashion. So there is the need to um, to ensure, you know, security and, and data integrity. But, but I think it's, that's also becoming easier. And, and what's pr- particularly interesting to me too, with what's happening globally is, is open banking, right? So more data is being passed in, in other regions. And it's also very interesting to see what they're doing with it. I mean, one, one example I see is, uh, is, uh, there's a company in, um, in Australia and they're partnered with a bank. And, you know, you initiate bank transactions from within your accounting software. You know, there's, there's, there's far more blurring of the lines between the banking portal and, and other places where you interact with your own money and the, and the data. 
flow between organizations as that happens. It's exciting times, but like I said, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I just happen to be particularly interested. Yeah, in it's, it's exciting times as long as you, as long as you don't have any other interests in life, other, like, like don't have other hobbies. <laughs> That's right. For people like us. Um, so I, I think you uh, hinted on something good there with the, the example from Australia. And obviously I have a deep, um, biased towards believing that uh, you know, business applications are an important point of consumption. But this is an interesting point, right? And you talked about this just you know before we kind of hit record about the you know the final mile experience. And so none of this infrastructure, none of these APIs, none, I, none of this stuff is 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 useful to you as a small business until it is something you can use. And I, I think Obviously, for financial institutions, I, th- I think in lots of cases, there's certain institutions where the culture is like, hey, we are the final mile, right? And it's, you know, our products and, and our channels are the final mile. And I mean, that my opinion is that isn't true for most cases, right? It's actually where the the client lives, which and oftentimes are these accounting systems or other operational finance tools. Do you want to maybe share your, your thinking around that and, and having lived, obviously, deeply in that world with, with those small businesses? Do, do you want to maybe surface how those things do or don't come together? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the missing piece to it, too, is that you have product teams, product development management teams um, that are just looking at their portion of the experience. So if you had uh, ideation sense sessions or a combined roadmap, you know, between a financial institution and a software company to say, this is the experience. This is the, the ideal experience that we're after. What is, what do we need in our combined roadmap to achieve that? And, you know, and there is, there's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I worked um, with Apple actually on, uh, an ecosystem that um, they're developing, you know, as they want to get more into the the business side of things. And I find that really interesting, this development or this idea of ecosystems. So in their case, uh, they're, they're looking at, um, you know, a, a set of business-related apps. And they're promoting the value proposition behind having a combination of these apps. Like here's an app that's related to POS and here's a, uh, an accounting, uh, a cloud accounting app and, and here's a, you know, a payroll piece or here's time, time management or whatever. And, and, and serving up these, uh, combined solutions. So, so that's one way, but, you know, and it'll it'll provide a certain level of uh, a congruent experience, putting putting going to market in that way. But I think if if you're to become best in class at one specific use case, that it, you need to get to that next level and have have product uh, technical teams and planning teams sit together and then just make sure there's absolutely no gaps in the experience and that it's, it's frictionless and seamless to, to that, uh, to that business. So the world you just described in some ways almost sounds a bit like a high school dance, right? You know, business applications are wallflowers <laughs> on, on one side and the, the, you know, the financial incumbents maybe 
on the other side and everybody wants somebody else to ask them to dance. Like, how do you see that, that playing out? Right. And who do you think has more work to do here? And how, how could you see that rolling out over like changing over time? Right. I, I mean, the Canadian market is a little bit different in that we're an oligopoly, right. Um, to a certain, you know, to a certain degree. And, you know, there, there's probably been less motivation um, than, than in other markets to, to move forward with, with much of this, this innovation that's required. Um, but let me, let me think about that. So how do we, how do we get together? How do we uh, come to the, the dances as you so described it? Well, one thing that I am seeing and, and kudos to the FIs is is their their sensing you can tell they're sensing the disruption as i was mentioning before there's blurred lines between your you know the banking experience and other business related processes and experiences and and i'm seeing them create these innovation hubs most of them have this where they are looking at fintechs and paytechs and saying okay we're um where might we partner or we might want to acquire or, you know, we might want to look at this idea, this, this innovation and see how it might work for our customer base and within our organization. So some work is happening there, which, which I think is fantastic. And there's phenomenal fintechs, both in Canada and the U.S. Um, to, to work with. And, and that's how innovation is going to happen. It's going to be the FIs being open to it. And then also down the road, greater access to our, you know, to what, to, to payments networks, you know, directly for, for the fintech community. I mean, that's not quite there yet, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see greater openness in, in future. But for now, um, just having that, that um, prioritization around innovation and working with fintechs and paytechs as a community is is what's going to bring some of this stuff to market, and and the FIs really need to because the the pressure the pressure's on. Competitive competitiveness is not with between financial institutions anymore. It's it's any any provider out there that provides a super, uh, superb digital experience. You have to the bar is high now. I agree with that point completely, and I think that's the you know the point you can never lose, right? Is that the expectations are higher than they ever were, and are probably increasing at a at a rate that they ever can. And it just it doesn't. I mean, I've said this before, probably on this podcast, but like the oldest millennials are quite old now, like they're in their forties. Um, like like the world is just different, right? Those are the CFOs of the companies that you want to bank, right? They are are digitally native, and it just like that's 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 all kind of changed um you know swept up on us they aren't really not no skids anymore and that's a driver for the credit union space as well because much of their business has been uh you know community based in going into your local branch right and as that happens less and less they're really having to reinvent themselves and providing that superior digital experience um but they're also pretty nimble Right. And they can leapfrog in a lot of ways, you know, versus a, a really large FI that's going to take a while to move the machine. Um, they do have some flexibility to, to do some unique things uh, for their for their clients, too. But but definitely it's especially in the credit union space, there has to be a focus 
on um, a much younger demographic. It's it's critical. I would say look at the data that's coming. So you know, look at what's available traveling with a payment today. What will be available in future? So so both the data and the the aspect of of uh, payment speed as well. So with that, um, with better information or greater information passing through faster, what current experiences that are uh, clunky or could be improved um, do you do we want to solve for? And and the the biggest point that I wanted to make is don't do it in a silo. Look look at and look at your target organization, profile them, and say, okay, I'm looking at a at a business of 100 employee size. What are the most common solutions that they use? This is the accounting software that they use. This is the processor that they use in their region. These are the apps that they use. This is a payroll system that they use. Um, this data that that will now be flowing through the system. What can we? How can we look at it? And and go above and beyond um, and, and get rid of some of the, the stickiness and the, or get rid of some of the friction, I should say, and the cumbersome processes. Like, like we were talking about earlier, I mean, really checks exist? Well, they exist for a reason. Get, let's, let's do, get rid of all of those obstacles and, and just get rid of them. So that would be my recommendation. Look at, from the standpoint, the empathetic, the standpoint of the business, look at the systems that they use and look at the power of the data that's going to be coming. No, I agree on all those fronts. And I'm also going to plug, I think it's episode two or th- maybe it's episode three of this, three or four of this podcast, which is three steps to kill the small business check. Um, certainly something to think of. It is bizarre that they still exist in this day and age, but they're, they're, they kind of have a profound beauty in their persistence. Um, we, we shouldn't hate them. <laughs> we shouldn't hate them because they're famous. Look at it. But, uh, I, I agree that that'll be different in the future. Um, in general, I mean, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. This has been great. I mean, if I just want to kind of do a quick around the horn, I think you're, you know, inviting, I guess, banks to think about the final mile experiences that they can build for their constituent business customers on top of all of this wave of payment modernization, things that, you know, make it easier to reconcile their books, make you know, the state of payments more visible, more faster, more easy, um, you know, have new and smart ways to provide access to credit for those same same users. And so um, I, I, th- I just want to thank you for the thoughts. I think that's a, I think it's a really important uh, way to frame the conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. As always, um, would Absolutely love for you to uh, subscribe on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't. Um, if you think somebody would be interested, it's always great to forward this to a friend. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, never hesitate to email info at fispan.com. That's F-I-S-P-A-N.com. And uh, look forward to seeing you all next time.